I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. And I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. This week is a very special episode because we're coming to the conclusion of our four-part arc looking at the heroines of Hong Kong cinema, and we are finishing it up with a probably, actually definitely the most recent uh, movie that we've done so far, and that is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon from 2000 and directed by Ang Lee. So, uh, Marty and Carlos, you both, or Carlos was actually the one that wanted us to finish off the arc with that. So why is it that you wanted to finish off with this? Well, um, you know, we started with Come Drink With Me, and we were kind of making our way through the second part of the century, uh, (laughs) and we were taking little, like, you know, tastes of these awesome women that have just been stomping the butts out of people in Kung Fu movies. (laughs) So... I thought that it would be perfect, and even before we decided on our selections, uh, I thought it would be good to start with Come Drink With Me and maybe end with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because not only will you get to see Cheng Pei Pei, you know, fresh-faced in the 60s, and you see her in her mature kind of just as fierce but in a different way in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But then you get to see all these other connections that we've made along the way. So we saw Yes, Madam in our last episode. And um, Mm. Michelle Yeoh also, I mean, you know, this is like in a span of 20 years, not 40 years. But um, Mm -hmm. you see her fresh face and now you see her in this more mature role. And Ang Lee puts them to use really well. And I just thought... The mo- it's basically an excuse for us to watch the movie again, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's really the culmination of so many things. Um, pretty much every theme within our topic, like Carlos is mentioning, um, but really the culmination of almost everything that's great about martial arts cinema, and you could even just say cinema generally. Um, for sure. I think, I don't know, re-watching the film, I think as of 2017, this is still... For me, the the tiger on the mountain that has not been dethroned in terms of just all all out sort of outstanding martial arts film, um, and it and it also is you know one of the most breakthrough movies of the genre. Whereas, oh yeah, like I mean, I told you guys earlier, but I mean, when I started to date my wife, she had a VHS, co- she still has a VHS copy <laughs> of the movie, okay. and um, you know, like. You can't really say that about many other martial arts movies that it just reached everyone. And not only did it get a cult following, but even more than that, it even extended out into getting Academy Awards and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, multiple yeah. Academy Awards. It's, I guess, our first Academy Award winning uh, film. Mm-hmm. And as far as our topic goes, um, it's really kind of the fulfillment of uh, so many themes that have been bubbling under are finally made. Uh, overt. This is a movie that really grapples with uh, the repression of women in this society. Mm-hmm. And it's instead of being sort of a subtext um, that's sort of just on the outer edges of the frame, it's really front and center, kind of 
the mm. almost the primary uh, the theme of the movie, um, which is I think just really satisfying, kind of bringing our group of four films to a close here. Yeah, and we get uh, Yuan Wu Ping again. Yeah, and, of course. Um, just and doing some weird choreography too, like a lot different than you know whenever you add a, a third dimension to it, then it completely. Well, yeah, we've kind of fast game. forwarded past um, a really important period, which we should probably talk about. Really important period of uh, kung fu cinema that's sort of in between uh, where we are in Crouching Tiger and the most current movies we've looked at so far, The Wheels on Meals and Yes, Madam, which is kind of the wire fu era, the really Choi Hark-led era of, say, the Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time in China films. Uh, and Yun Wu-Ping was really a driving force of, of that period. The culmination, arguably, maybe uh, Iron Monkey in terms of uh, the kind of apex of his choreography in that genre, sure. or, or maybe Once Upon a Time in China too, or something. Um, but Iron Monkey was that was one of Donnie Yen's first big big breakout roles, right? Yeah, well, yeah, Donnie Yen had been on the scene for a while, but hadn't really had a hit. And actually, Iron Monkey wasn't too sizable of a hit in Hong Kong when it mm. came out, but it ended up gaining this cult status in the uh, sort of the years following, and eventually got a re-release in America. Um, mm-hmm. thanks to Quentin Tarantino and Miramax and really the success of Yun Ping's work in uh, The Matrix and Crouching Tiger. But yeah, so we've kind of skipped over a lot of the choreography that Yun Ping and others developed during that period that they're actually uh, kind of evolving even further here in uh, Crouching Tiger with a production value and budget and mm-hmm. uh, attention to detail unlike anything we've seen so far, yeah. I think. That's that was the first big note that I had for this movie is that the production value, like the production values were high for like for uh, come drink with me because, right. you know, it was Shaw Brothers they had a lot of money behind it. But it was just incredible seeing modern production values on a movie like and obviously modern the movie still 17 years old. But oh, gosh, as compared boy, to these. Now. Yeah, <laughs> as compared to these. I know that was that's because, you know, I, I remember the movie coming out and this was. This was a huge hit, and yeah. it's probably one of the only movies we're going to watch in this podcast that I was able to get from the library. <laughs> Which is, so, and you said the Blu-ray from uh, the library, yeah. Too. And they had a Blu-ray, a Blu-ray at the library. Go, go figure. God, get, I mean, it just looks beautiful. Uh, cinematography by mm-hmm. by Peter Powell. You know, if you look at uh, everyone kind of behind the camera and involved in the production. It's a really interesting international crew. Uh, we've mentioned the director, mm-hmm. Ang Lee, who grew up in Taiwan. Uh, so, you know, Mandarin-speaking director, uh, you could definitely say, you know, Chinese director, but uh, obviously Taiwan is... Anyways, we don't need to get into the politics, but uh, has, <laughs> has culturally always been a much more free society than the People's Republic of China. And, mm-hmm. you know, Ang Lee spent a lot of time uh, in America honing his craft and mm-hmm. was famous for a lot of art house and art house cinema um, and had already won uh, multiple Academy Awards prior to or his films had already won multiple Academy Awards prior to this. And one of his main collaborators is a guy named uh, James Seamus, who actually produced Crouching Tiger and wrote the screenplay. So the screenplay process is really interesting Seamus would start with an English draft and then this would get kind of bounced uh, back and forth, actually. Um, wow. There was a Chinese writer, uh, Wang Hui Ling, and she would not only translate the language, but sort of uh, 
um, you know, make adaptations to things that weren't kind of culturally appropriate. Uh, I was re-listening to the commentary and Mm. Seamus was describing it. He was saying like the equivalent might be if maybe um, a Chinese writer was writing an episode of Law and Order and when the officers Mm. came into the room, they would bow (laughs) nine times or something. It's like, it was just (laughs) what he was doing was maybe anachronistic. And so it's this interesting back and forth process. And then apparently the financing for the movie involved tons of different entities in different countries uh america germany spain france scandinavia italy oh wow uh hong kong china and then you know you have this hong kong talent and mm-hmm. um taiwanese talent and also and everyone's trying to speak mandarin and uh interesting note for the movie is uh our two leads are although you could argue you know that the lead is possibly chung Tsi, um but I, the, I was I would say that she's almost like the main character of the movie. Yeah, she's, she's literally the, the hidden of dragon the of the title. But um, yeah. but yeah, Mich- the big ticket names uh, Michelle Yeoh and Chao Young Fat. Neither of them really spoke Mandarin, so they had to train in Mandarin. And I was wondering there was actually a lot of uh, Cantonese, uh, a lot of criticism in the um, in the Mandarin speaking world of their yeah, uh, or particularly did... Chao Young Fat's huh. uh, performance. Apparently, yeah, I read that. Hmm. In some markets, they actually dubbed the movie over because of yeah, it. Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> and that's actually, speaking of dubs, uh, you guys said that you guys actually haven't watched the movie dubbed in English, right? No, right? no. And I did, and it's a really good dub. Oh, Like, awesome. it's incredibly well done. Mm. Uh, like, better than I've seen almost any other dubbing job. Uh like there's a few times where people will like say stuff really fast or kind of stop in the middle of the sentence, like, you know, uh, kind of standard dub fare. Sure. But for the most part, they'll match up. And whenever they say, you know, uh, like whenever they say Lumubai or something, then they'll actually say it in English and match whenever the whenever they said it in, in Mandarin. Oh, nice. Ooh, so wow. they sort of get so, the lip sync. So it'll it'll yeah, it actually lips the lip sync pretty darn well. And and I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that at at very least Michelle Yeoh, I'm pretty sure dubs herself. That would in that would make English sense because it, she's a really. I mean, Jayan Fett speaks English pretty well. Yeah, as pretty well. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is you know pretty much fluent. I'd say from the stuff that I've seen her in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, that's yeah. I'll have to I'll have to check it out. Well, we're. Uh, our listeners will be lucky because that means we can have a, a lot of uh, cool little dialogue Yes, I'll have drops. a lot more, a lot more clips <laughs> from that. Oh, <laughs> well, right. Of course. As opposed to the last several yeah. that have had no dubs at all. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, we alluded to Zhang Si, uh, arguably the star of the movie and the breakout star, we could say. Oh, And we're kind of continuing a theme. Each Zhang movie Zhi. we've shown, although uh, Angela <laughs> Ma was already sort of a known entity, but we've... Uh, we've had the pleasure of showing a lot of kind of breakout uh, movies mm-hmm. come drink with me. Definitely a breakout role for Chang Pepe. And I mean, this is a huge, uh, huge performance here of Jung Si. Actually, when they started production, she was 19 years old. Uh, Ooh, the first film she's it. credited with is uh, the road home by a, a famous uh, mainland Chinese director, Zhang Yimou. But I actually don't think it had come out by the time they had uh, started, started production. And uh, this is, we're going to get some deja vu here, but she also had a, a classical dance background, a ballet background, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, came from, from Beijing. Um, so her Mandarin is naturally, uh, flawless, but like, uh, Cheng Pei Pei, like, uh, Angela Mao, she 
takes to this choreography like a, a fish to water. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, her performance is outright stunning, um, not only on the action side, but uh, just her acting performance is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I was watching an interview with Ang Lee and he was comparing it to when he uh, discovered Kate Winslet, who he cast in Sense and Sensibility. Um, right. There was just something so compelling about this about this young person and she's since you know come to be a, a huge star internationally probably one of the most well recognized um chinese stars at the time of uh recording this uh, 2017 so it's cool we're uh continuing the tradition of introducing uh new heroines to the world and we also get to celebrate uh a couple of the yeah incredible actors we've already seen um we've talked last week about how wonderful michelle yo is but we get to see a side of her here that was not necessarily to the fore and yes madam actually a side to her that i don't think she had ever shown in a film before uh her acting in this movie is outstanding and chang pei pei also mm-hmm. shows a side she had never shown previously uh, yeah, she was never she gets, cast as a villain nuts. Yeah. yeah she gets kind of nuts in this movie yeah. which I was, I was definitely wasn't expecting because she's very she's very demure and and you know very you know like naive but also kind of very sure of herself and mm-hmm. you know like like confident that's the word very confident in come drink with me and it's really kind of crazy to see her in this movie as you know kind of as manipulative and then really like almost there was like a temper tantrum at one mm-hmm. point yeah. uh, and then kind of cheats to kill people later in the movie. And I was thinking she was like, uh, I mean, in relation to the movies we've seen, the darkest timeline, golden swallow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so true. Yeah. yeah. She, it's like, she's kind of world weary golden swallow. Mm-hmm. She has, she brings this gravitas to it, um, which is so important, you know, um, if mm-hmm. she can bring, subtext something that isn't actually there in the content of the film that just can add to the weight of it and um you know certainly for any audience that's familiar with with her work or grew up with her films um it's <laughs> it's really uh, effective seeing her here in this in this kind of role it might make you feel some unexpected feelings but it's yeah it's definitely powerful yeah and since you mentioned subtext that's something that we get a lot of in this movie too, where in the other movies we didn't really see because you've got this kind of auteur of Ang Lee and this whole, Mm -hmm. everything can be so subtle, but, you know, like everything's handled so well in this movie, the pacing and everything and the setting and just the way that the plot subtly kind of weaves itself together. It's not like these other movies that we've been seeing, not to say that that was bad it's just different but this is a very mature way to Mm -hmm. kind of portray uh you know this martial arts action and i really appreciated it the first really big action scene doesn't start until a good 15 minutes into the movie yeah and the way starts very slow yeah the way that it's paced so that it escalates to these moments is done really well so that by the time it's not like you're waiting for another fight or anything like that Mm -hmm. to happen but when it arrives it's just like it capitalizes on um i guess the tension they were building for you and Mm -hmm. even the score in the movie like the music in this movie really builds on that as well it's very well done yeah uh tan dun the composer a chinese classical composer who had done a few film scores prior to this but really hasn't done a lot of film work um 
yeah, he actually won the Academy Award for best best original score uh, that mm-hmm. year for Crouching Tiger. And then I I don't know if it won, but the the song which uh, plays in the end credits, sung by Coco Lee, which is uh, kind of adapted from sort of the main theme of the underscore, uh, that was also nominated. It might have actually won. I should have looked that up. But uh, the score also features very prominently uh, Mr. Yo Yo Ma on solo cello. Um, oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I and think so the first. That- yeah, the first thing you hear is from him. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's really that cool. Opening title. I, I mean, I totally believe it. That's and I, yeah, I saw an interview where he and Tandoon were together, and he was saying like he felt sort of like a bridge that he kind of understood kind of the Western point of view and the mm. Chinese point of view. And, you know, I think he's in kind of a unique position to help, you know, amplify the the score and, and the movie and really uh, rewatching it kind of with a, uh, an ear out for Yo-Yo Ma. He's really kind of all over, all over mm-hmm. the score and has such a signature tone to the cello. Apparently Ang Lee was hesitant about uh, taking advantage of Yo-Yo Ma initially because I think he had pictured that, <laughs> the score would feature really prominent Urhu and it does have Urhu in there. It, it um, has plenty of it. Yeah. But, but really Yo-Yo Ma's tone, he brought such a, if I may, like a Chinese sensibility to the phrasing of the way he, mm. he plays the cello here. And yeah, really. And that's, out, I mean, that very much fits the, the movie itself that it's, you know, it's a Western meets uh Western, some Western style and sensibility, but a very Chinese, uh, everything else basically like the uh one one thing i loved about the movie was seeing uh it takes place in Qing dynasty china which is a pretty you know pretty familiar setting from some of the other movies we watched but it was amazing seeing you know familiar outfits and and sets but with you know it's not just the camera facing straight forward towards the action maybe some shot reverse shot there's lots of cameras sweeping around and, you know, the people like seeing things from a lot of different angles right. that really shows off everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing seeing that uh, when the, which and that's just, you know, film progressing over time. So, again, it's really great seeing that in a more modern context, which makes me excited for in the future when we watch some yeah. more more uh, stuff. And apparently from it was the a... past you know, 20 years. Oh, totally. Yeah. And uh I guess behind the scenes, there's like a ended up being a really great collaboration between Ang Lee and uh, Yun Woo Ping. And uh, when you hear Ang Lee talk about him, he has so much respect for Yun Woo Ping. And he said, at least at this time, he's mm-hmm. you know he's directed more films than I have uh, these big hit <laughs> films. So uh, he's uh, he actually said he really learned so much not only about um, you know uh, shooting an action scene, but really just uh, movie making in in general, working together. Mm-hmm. And it's this great combination of uh, shots that are kind of reminiscent of Hong Kong cinema you've seen before, but the tempo is different. You know, it's sort of quieter, subtler filmmaking in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And uh, yeah, <laughs> can't say enough. So the movie itself is actually, I found out, is based on a novel, um, a Wuja novel. Eh, yeah, I'll try saying that five times fast. <laughs> Wuja novel by an author named uh wong dulu i think so you say it yeah um i whenever i was listening to some of the behind the scenes i heard a great bit from 
um, the late great Don LaFontaine saying, Wang Dulu. <laughs> Based on the beloved novel by Wang Dulu. I don't think awesome. I don't think that's how you say it, but um, oh man, I miss his trailer. But it's a series, so bad. I know for <laughs> real. Uh, but it's from a series that's known as the Crane Iron series, and it's 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 a pentology. It's five books, and Crouch the Tiger, Hidden Dragon is the fourth. And it's interesting. All of the books in the series actually have a name that sounds kind of like Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So there's right. uh, Crane Frightens Kunlun. Precious Sword, Golden Hairpin, Sword Force, Pearl Shine, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Iron Knight, Silver Vase. So it's kind of neat that they all have that, like, the two, you know, the little couplets, I guess, yeah. uh, side by side for the, for the names. Yeah. And the, and the recently released uh, sequel that's on Netflix is based mm-hmm. off of that fifth novel. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, it does take some... I mean, I mean, I'm sure it does capitalize it as a sequel to Crouching Tiger. So they kind of draw you in with some connections to that movie. But Mm -hmm. it kind of uh, leads you towards the plot from that. And I don't know how, um, you know, how I don't know what to say. Like, you know, I don't know how hard liberties with Crouching Tiger. Yeah, I I feel like it just kind of maybe has did its own thing for the sake of the Mm -hmm. movie. I don't know how strict it was to adhere to the novel itself. Yeah, I, I I know they said at one point um, when I was rewatching the commentary that uh, Zhang Xi's character uh, Jen, uh, th- they call her I think in the, the English dub. Mm-hmm. Um, it's confusing it, in the subtitles they call her Jen, mm-hmm. but in the dubbed version they actually call her Yu Jialong mm-hmm. or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, which That's is crazy because you think in and you think in the dub version that they would have done Jin Yu, which is a lot sure. easier to say. But, but I suppose if they're trying to like sync up with the mouth movements. That's true. That's true. That's interesting. Right. But apparently in that's the true. in the novels, uh uh she's much more of like a tomboy character and Ang Lee said that as they were filming it, there was just this kind of natural femininity to Jiang Si and so they sort of kind of reinterpreted the character where she had, you know, obviously a lot of physical prowess, but um that was sort of coupled with kind of this sort of natural uh, femininity. And the title, Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon, is a little bit subtle, but um, the Chinese actually kind of links up with the surnames of two two characters in the film, and they're actually sort of the two lovers at the center of the story. Um, so mm-hmm. the Hidden Dragon is uh, Jiang Xi's character, and then um, the the Crouching Tiger is... Uh, referred to as a woe or dark cloud Um, that's sort of like the desert uh the desert vagabond um okay that makes sense they're kind of uh, i suppose yet another argument for her really being kind of the central character of the story yeah and that's a a fine bag i guess we can get into the movie that's it's a little later in the movie but the scene whenever the, the dark cloud character comes in it's kind of crazy because he comes in like he sneaks into the Jung Zi's character's room at night l- later in the movie. And then he like introduces that they have a relationship and then it does a flashback <laughs> and 
that flashback is a good 20 minutes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like a whole, yeah. Like, yeah. it's literally 20 minutes. It's yeah. like a whole section of the movie is just that flashback. But I love that. Yeah, that, that's like that my favorite sequence. part of the that's movie. A, yeah, it's good. Because it's, it's so much, it's so different from the rest of the movie. And, yeah. it, you know, it explains their background, uh, how she was basically like kidnapped. And then, but he like took good care of her and uh, throughout the time. But it takes place in the Gobi Desert and it's shot in the Gobi Desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and amazing. that's just, it's, it looks incredible. It's just such a different setting because you see deserts in movies, but the way the Gobi Desert looks is just so different from most other deserts on, on Earth. Yeah, and it was really and difficult to access, apparently. Um, I believe to, it. To get yeah, that, I could imagine. Just to get that deep out in the desert. And that's actually where they started production. Um, so, I, I, you know, she, that's right. I read, she does I read actually in, look a little younger in the, in the flashback. So I think it was, that was maybe, maybe yeah, wise. That works. I actually read that the production for the, the you know shooting in the Gobi Desert was actually pretty problematic because it was actually raining a lot. Oh boy! Uh, in the desert, it's just and, and it was just kind of ironic. Is <laughs> it raining too much in the desert? It's like we thought we were gonna have problems just finding an outlet, but now we're, yeah. we have to cover our electrical equipment <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but to bring it back to earlier in the movie, the uh, the whole basically the whole idea of the movie everything kind of circles around this this sword called uh green destiny and right green destiny yeah yeah, yeah. okay was just the, the pick sure of destiny was different. forged from the hilt of <laughs> another <laughs> tenacious d reference it is man it's crazy you know it, i'm not it even is, that is a green deep pick. of a tenacious d <laughs> fan but it, when it's appropriate i guess it just comes out <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah sure. but the uh the whole plot surrounds that green destiny was a sword that was wielded by Chow Yun-Fat's character, Lumu Bai, and he's basically giving it up because he's had this whole life full of, of violence and he's you know right. trying to put it behind him, which it's a kung fu movie, so <laughs> that's not going to last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because it opens with this uh, con- really this pretty profound conversation where uh, Lumu Bai is, mm-hmm. is sharing with uh, Michelle Yeoh's character and it doesn't take long to realize that these are sort of unrequited lovers that have a deep yeah. understanding with each other. But he's sharing that he had been meditating out in the mountains and it sounds like it was successful. Uh, he's describing his experience and uh, Yushu Lian, uh, Michelle Yeo's character, is almost asking him, oh, well, it sounds like you were enlightened. And he's like, no, I wasn't enlightened. But uh, he, it's almost like he saw the sort of depths of the universe, but simultaneously he was filled with all this sadness so he had to just abandon his meditation so it really casts this cloud over the movie kind of from the beginning which really stays with us because there's a there's an undercurrent of tragedy and death uh and impermanence uh throughout crouching tiger so uh does i think Ang Lee does a good job of maybe tempering our expectations um if we kind of came into the movie expecting kind of wall-to-wall action um and he even talked about it was a really uh, struggle trying to balance the expectations of maybe the international art house audience and the mainstream Asian audience who would have to sit through, like you said, Matthew, 15 mm. minutes of the movie before action and without spoiling <laughs> yeah. anything, you know, the final fight is not the climax of the film. Um, no, it's not at all, but uh, at least it's kind of yeah, sad actually. Right. But at least, at least satisfying. for me, I think it all, it all pays off. Um, but yeah, this uh, 
opening scene also is doing something that some of our films have done before, which is uh, showcase a set that will come to um, be a fight location later. So mm-hmm. this is actually <laughs> the location of probably the most memorable fight of the movie, which happens uh, towards the end between Jung Si and uh, Michelle Yeoh. Um, but I also love how they, when they're talking about the green destiny, uh, the camera is sort of far away and it doesn't really make much of a, uh, much of a deal about the sword itself. Did you guys notice that? Um, I, yeah, you can he's see first you revealing it. And I don't know. I sort of, I feel like the priorities are, are in place where we're, we're really supposed to be focused on these two characters and um, we're almost ready to, to let the sword, to let the sword go. And so uh, mm-hmm. he's entrusting it to Michelle um, to basically take it to what was at the time called Peking, uh, Beijing now, um, mm-hmm. uh, to entrust it with uh, Master Tay, I believe was his name. Yeah, his name, he goes by Sir Tay in the movie. Sir Tay. At least yeah. in the subtitles, that's how they refer to him. Yeah, and so um, he's supposed to, she's supposed to entrust uh, the sword mm. to him. And his compound is where we kind of spend a lot of time in sort of the first act of the movie, like the first mm-hmm. half hour almost. Yeah, and I really like in this conversation how you you kind of almost would expect that uh, Li Mu Bai as this, you know, kind of forged in the fire martial artist, he would kind of be the one not as in touch with his feelings as Shu Lian, but right. the, the balance between the two, it, it almost seems like he's had this revelation and he's ready to give up this life. And without saying it, he wants to be with her, but she doesn't really understand that. She kind mm. of doesn't understand. She's surprised to hear that he's going to do what he's going to do. And um, she's almost the one that's out of touch with her emotions. And that's kind of this kind of tragic thing that you kind of see throughout the movie where it's like she should be realizing, you know, what's right in front of her. And I mean, he's kind of of the mindset where he kind of wants that in his life now. Right. But the situation keeps pulling that away from them. It's it's really nice. Yeah, and she's sort of shackled um, by the expectations of a woman in her p- position will come to know that her fiancé was killed, and at the time, she is supposed to basically um, kind of regard herself as a widow. And so she still is kind of bound to this fiancé who we're almost led to believe she maybe didn't really love, and she's really always had this connection with Li Mumbai. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's sort of shackled by that. And then Jung Si's character, Jen, is shackled by, you know, the expectations of this aristocratic, uh, daughter. And, um, both of them are never really fully able to, to escape those yeah. shackles. Uh, yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Really so, uh, Lian makes her way to, uh, Peking to deliver the sword and you get a really awesome shot of the city itself. And, you know, she mm-hmm. as she comes in. And the other thing I thought was really cool is like you see the kind of the guest cobblestone road and there's mm-hmm. grooves for the carts. That's something yeah, I never I realized that. before. That's pretty cool. And uh, mm-hmm. you also get to see as she's making her way some kind of uh, picking opera style performers in this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, these little kids with like a bunch of bowls on their head as they're mm-hmm. doing this kind of acrobatics. Yeah. So she... um brings the sword to Sir T and um, 
he actually kind of lets her know too like yeah look like don't you understand what's happening like here? everyone knows like, Lulubai and you are in love <laughs> yeah so <laughs> he's got a good <laughs> that was funny yeah he's got a good phrase that i like it's a, he says when it comes to emotions even great heroes can be idiots yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> terrific even the greatest hero can be a consummate idiot so yeah. he's trying to wake her up like, hey, look at what you got here. And this dude's trying to give up his life for you. You should kind of jump on that. <laughs> then she's introduced to uh, Zhang Ziyi's character, Jin. And this way we find out that she's, you know, like this aristocrat's or the, the, the governor. I think they specifically yeah, say yeah. the governor's daughter. And she's like about to get married off. And she, you know, is the whole She's going to get married off if she doesn't want to because she doesn't love the person she's marrying. Right. Um, and, she, and she gets also excited to meet uh, Michelle Yeoh's character because she, she says, you're like, you know, you're like the heroes from the books then you know, the, the traveling warriors and everything. And, and she just kind of laughs off saying like, oh, yeah, all the, you know, they don't tell you about all the, the sleepless nights and, you know, sleeping on <laughs> right. like rat infested beds and, <laughs> and stuff. I, thought, ah, I just thought it was a fun little. Yeah, action. it's cool. And you, you see that, you know, like Marty said, this she Zhang Ziyi's character sees that her future is going to be basically as a prisoner in her, her arranged marriage. And she mm -hmm. wants the freedom that she sees that yeah. Shulian has. Yeah, freedom is definitely kind of the big like what it what is freedom in your life is kind of the big one of the big themes from the, from the movie, which. I don't know. I think that kind of ties in with the with I, I know you said it's part of like a, a bigger movement and Hong Kong action at this time. But I think that kind of ties in with the whole Udong and, and people, you know, flying around and everything. Yeah, because that's like the ultimate kind of freedom is literally being able to just jump in the air and, and just keep going. Right. Oh, man, that's great. I love uh, that, Marty. That, no, that's that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> oh, or Matthew. Matthew. Or <laughs> right. But yeah, hey, I, I, it's been pretty good. I, I, I'm used to people mixing my names up, but now I'm dealing with a Marty and a Matthew on the same <laughs> show, and I haven't done that up until now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if, the, if you, you first zoom out far enough, they're basically the same. <laughs> but yeah, apparently Ang Lee wanted to really um, focus on uh, Wu Dan technique, you know, more of an internal sort of fighting system, um, which, and we see sort of like, uh, kind of an almost an essence of qigong which we saw in come drink with me although they depicted qigong as basically being able to sort of uh almost like Shoot hadouken from yeah here. yeah and so here we <laughs> see we it as like these, <laughs> these extensions of these of these of these leaps but no i yeah i think mm -hmm. thematically this movie is about as tight as a as a film can be um and that's that really is what separates the action uh throughout this movie is it's it's an extension of of the story um oh we also also should mention in this sequence where we're first introduced to jung C's character uh michelle shows her the green destiny and uh lets mm. her hold it and i think john c's performance here is really amazing because she somehow uh i mean maybe i'm bringing hindsight into this but i feel like you can tell that she covets the sword right for um, sure mm, oh yeah yeah but she's also it also seems like her kind of uh, exuberance uh, and her excitement about kind of the warrior life, that seems sincere also. So it's not an easy task, I feel like, showing all those dimensions in this in this one sequence. But 
Um, yeah. Yeah, she she does it here. And following this scene, uh by now, uh, you know, action fans, we probably feel like we've we've yeah. waited long enough and yeah. we've kind of yeah, pulled back the slingshot just far enough. And when night falls, mm. yeah, this is when the movie kicks into Ooh, a whole This is a cool thing I just noticed uh skimming through the movie just today is whenever it's it cuts it shows that you that it's nighttime and it cuts back to the city i didn't realize notice the first time but you can actually see the the per the masked person who who comes in and steals a sword in a second you can see them like a little black dot going across the city nice uh, oh wow which yeah. i didn't i i just i was just flipping through and i saw it and i was like is that what it is and i'm pretty sure it's it's a, it's not just a a weird artifact on the oh, screen oh that's or amazing yeah, it it's just such a it's just such a like really tiny detail, but it's that's that's kind of angly. Yeah, having the you know. Oh, and I guess, I guess everything's we, very much on purpose. I guess we skated over Chang Pepe's entrance. Um, oh yeah, that's it, right. Initially, she's shown to be the governess of this. Um, yep. Of this wealthy daughter, and it it's I love how they do this because it doesn't seem like she's treated with a whole lot of respect, frankly. She and definitely has like kind of hair. a servant role. Yeah, going mm-hmm. on where, um, yeah, not not only in that, but just how um they address each other. You definitely kind of get right. like kind of a mother daughter master ser- master student thing going on, but also um Jen Yu's character is very um abrupt with how she deals with her. Like she right. can't, she it it's almost like she won't take orders from her. Even if she's giving her advice, and um, yeah, she's like, "I'll do, you know, I'll do whatever I want." Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that as you go through seeing their relationship. It, right from the outset, it seems pretty strained. Right, and so then, uh, yeah, as night falls, uh, like Matthew said, we see it. there's a bandit clad in black that's uh, skimming across the rooftops, and they mm-hmm. sneak in and they steal the green destiny. And this guard is alerted. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's really he's really terrific here. He, oh, he's he great. looked he looked really familiar to me, but when I looked up his credits, I don't think I had seen anything he had yeah. uh, mm. been in before. Um, but he's yeah. sort of like the dedicated uh, police officer of the of the movie. Yeah. Um, and so he first attacks this villain, and we can tell as moviegoers right away that this is this is Jung Si, and that's I think yeah. very intentional. And it, which is kind of like with "Come Drink with Me," yeah, how you can yeah, very much absolutely. tell, like, yeah, it's, that's obviously not a man. That's obviously mm-hmm. Chang Pei Pei. Right. But and part of what makes the action in this movie so great, and I think you were uh, mentioning it already, Carlos, is it's really like a work of classical music, like a symphony or something. We just get subtle hints of kind of the supernatural element of the choreography, and it just couldn't evolve more gracefully than it does. It's it's mm-hmm. really really amazing um i think this is like a pitch perfect sequence um and so she yeah. she sort of floats away and she's on the rooftop and she's throwing these shingles at him um and then eventually she's kind of all out running on the rooftop and michelle yeo's character is awakened and they have this brief little confrontation um and as we'll come to see their conflict is kind of one of the driving forces of the movie and it doesn't take very long for Michelle's character to realize this person has been trained in Wudan. 
Oh, I love how they handle that too. Oh, that's so because good. Because she, yeah, she corners her on a rooftop and she strikes her and she notices that the thief kind of almost does like a hip wiggle to evade the mm. full effect of her punch and that's right. what sets her off that says oh wait a second you know some special techniques and yeah. um yeah the other thing about the scene is like i mentioned the music earlier and this one is basically percussion that's kind of building yeah. the whole time so mm-hmm. with the encounters and with uh shu lian you know has this kind of like maybe two or three skirmishes before she actually stops her and they have to fight each other you have this percussion that's kind of picking up the whole time and it's just building that tension up and you're rewarded with this amazing uh, fight between the two in this open courtyard and even though it's nighttime everything the way it's shot and everything is so well done you don't get a you know you don't have to say like well what just happened or anything like that everything's so awesome like there's yeah in the wire work how it kind of ramps up right at the beginning of this where there's kind of kind of long jumps and then by the end of this fight it's they're basically flying around it's yeah it's yeah and the camera work there's like jumping off of walls and things are swinging back and forth as they're kicking off walls and just you make these obviously impossible jumps and it i will say one thing though Whenever it comes to wire foo stuff, you kind of have to get in the mindset of yes. it. Yeah. Because yeah, whenever because whenever you first see it, it does look kind of goofy. Because yeah. it's uh the thing I realized what the reason why it looks goofy is because of how quiet it is. Like you don't hear like a rushing wind kind of sound whenever they're flying. It's oh. just it's just these people moving. I can see and, I can see that. And so that's always I don't know. Because no, I, I guess I uh, I'm expecting there to be like a, you know, like a Dragon Ball Z style, like squishing <laughs> sound whenever people are flying but by. We should, speaking of sound effects, we should call out um, this sequence was pretty revolutionary for the time in terms of the sound design. When we are on the ground and fighting, um, it's com- a completely new set of sound effects that had were, you know, designed specifically for this movie and for these um you know, sound editors, this apparently was some of the most challenging work they had ever done. Uh, it couldn't be mm. further away from the kind of, um, you know, sounds yeah, of yeah, yeah. Hong Kong yeah. that we're used to. Uh, mm-hmm. And boy, it really adds to the immersion of not only the sequence, but the whole movie. And mm-hmm. like a lot of Crouching Tiger, um, what it does well, it basically ends up kind of changing the industry from from here on. Um, after Crouching Tiger, it's really difficult for any film to get away with like an older school style of sound effects <laughs> for, you know, you yeah. punching and kicking here. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, flying and wire foo, like we're saying. But what's so amazing about this sequence is really uh, this is the best wire work that had probably been in any film prior to prior oh, to I this point it. in time. And then also when we're on the ground, it's incredible hand to hand. Um, you know, fist choreography, feet choreography. It's just, it's really kind of firing on all cinders, cylinders. And like you were saying, Carlos, there's this percussion-centric soundtrack going through all of it. And uh, it crescendos at this wonderful point um, after Zhang Xi's uh, escaped. And then it just kind of like finishes uh, and you can sort of hear the drums ring out. 
as Michelle Yeoh standing there alone in the courtyard. And apparently at the Cannes Film Festival, everyone just erupted into applause. Like yeah, after that, I believe it. And I, I know awesome. my my friend Meng told me when he saw an advanced screening, same thing. Audience just broke into applause. Yeah. It's is amazing scene. Yeah. No, this this whole this whole scene just it's it's incredible from 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 start to finish. And again, once you kind of get past the yeah, it looks really <laughs> right. silly. Then, then you just then you just notice the you know the incredible skill that had to go into it. And I will say, I think after watching a few making of shorts, and definitely would love to watch even more because that's I don't know that's I love yeah, I love best. looking into you know making of whenever it comes to non like like CGI stuff's great and all, um, but I love seeing like oh they physically did that like there yeah. were there were six guys standing on like three different cables mm-hmm. all making sure that it looked like she was gracefully running up a wall and then back down and right. I I really like at the end where or of this encounter you kind of like I said they're ramping up this kind of wire work so the final shot of her just she's literally just flying parallel to mm-hmm. the ground and she just kind of launches up into the air as if she were a yeah. bird so they kind of yeah. just show you that like hey this is what you're in for in this movie and we're not gonna really like we're not trying to fake you out like this is this is what you're gonna see it's really cool yeah absolutely so daylight rolls around and now we're kind of in outright uh, investigation mode so uh, michelle's character clearly feels guilty for not being able to properly uh protect the sword and then the uh the officer that that we mentioned earlier the security officer he has reason to suspect that the thief has something to do with the the u house which is a pretty strong accusation because uh, like we said he's uh the governor and a well-respected you know, figure in the community. So he needs to kind of gather some more evidence. And he ran into these two characters, uh, an older man and a younger woman uh, during the scuffle in the evening. So, so he, uh, so he seeks them out. He's kind of on the trail of these two and finds them alone at this little tiny little home where he's, uh, the man is sharpening his weapon, which is this really, how would you even describe this, this weapon? It's like a sort of spirally, yeah, you know what I was thinking, like the um, in Star Trek, the the Klingons have that big, Ugh. huge, like oh, kind sure. of crescent blade. It's oh it's yeah, almost I, I, like that. Like if you I'm were... not big enough Trekkie to remember how you say it, but I can see it in my head. Could you put yeah. it in tenacious D terms? That's the only thing. <laughs> but it's um, like yeah, it's like something like that, but in a small. So it's like this curved blade with a handle. There's two of them. Yeah, and, but they're like handheld instead of being the big, right? You know, the big one like the the Klingon. And yeah. when you rewatch the movie, you see that the man is—he's looking like right into the blade of the weapon as he's sharpening it. And it's a little bit of a foreshadowing of how he'll kind of come to meet. Yeah, his yeah, demise. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that's the that's the the next kind of big action scene is uh, these um, these these people all go and track down Jade Fox, who is this, the person that killed, um, uh, Lee Mubai, right? Lee Mubai. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Lee Mubai's master. Yeah. Yeah. They kill, yeah, they kill Lee Mubai's master, uh, p- before the events of the movie. And they're also guessing that Jade Fox is the person who right. stole the sword. Well, Cause there's a wanted poster and uh, it's, uh, sh- uh, James Seamus, the producer was kind of joking that, 
he kind of wishes that the art hadn't been so accurate to Chang oh, Pepe. Yeah, because Chang Pepe is standing right next to She's it like, whenever yeah, they unroll the one yeah. poster. But I think the um, the, I think the governor's wife. I really like how she plays that beat because she's holding the poster and she's standing right next to Cheng Pei Pei, and she kind of gives her this. I think you can sort of read it as a knowing, a knowing look. Um, I saw it like that too. You know, I watched the movie a couple of times going into this, and you could almost get a sense that maybe this lady's been in the middle of all this for so long that she kind of does understand what's happening. Right, and um. Even though she sees that, you know, it's just another thing that she, she, you know, just whatever. Another thing I know about, but it doesn't matter to me because <laughs> I'm a, you know, rich lady or whatever like that. Yeah. Right. And then uh, Michelle Yeoh's character has a, another meeting uh, with uh, Jung Si, who's performing this uh, beautiful calligraphy. And apparently, mm-hmm. in addition to all uh, of the other pressures she had put on her for this production, Ang Lee... Um, required that she had this calligraphy training during the during the course of the movie um but they have a they have this really great exchange and um you might forget if you haven't seen the movie in a while but really michelle's character she's sort of a detective in a, yeah in a way and, yeah, yeah but she has she has just such great sense and um not only street smarts, but just a really good sense of kind of human behavior. And she never pushes very hard on Jen. Um, But you can really already tell by this point in the movie, she suspects her. Um, And they, she says something when um, uh, Jen is drawing this calligraphy of her name. She says, oh, wow, that's interesting how it looks like a, a sword. And like the handling of a brush is very similar to the handling of a sword. And so she's very kind of keenly um, suggesting that without without really pushing too hard. Yeah, every time, I mean, before everything gets out in the open, every time they interact with each other, there's a lot of what's not being said is what's really important right. in the scene. And um, yeah, the the acting in all of those scenes is amazing. And then uh, come evening, um, Jen is brushing her hair, and we have just the briefest flashback. And I think this is actually a real, really critical moment because we mentioned earlier there's actually like a 20-minute break of flashback in the middle mm-hmm. of the movie. But um, that we sort of rev the engine a little bit here uh, in what's only maybe a minute or two-minute long sequence where uh, she flashes back to sort of riding in this caravan with her mother through the... The Gobi Desert. The desert. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of plants this intrigue uh, pretty well without, you yeah. know, you know, without really damaging the the pace of the movie or anything. Yeah. And like, so what Matthew was saying before, which leads up to our next big action sequence, is that uh, the guard's kind of doing his own investigating on his own, and um, he tracks down the there was a couple there was like a little skirmish in the middle of that other fight where there were two people that were kind of getting into it but they kind of break away and he trails them and what ends up what he ends up finding out is that one of them is a police officer that's operating undercover and he's hunting jade fox so um him and his daughter are kind of hiding out waiting for their chance to get at her but she kind of knows too and um while they're kind of talking to each other, a dart gets shot at them, and there's a message on that dart right, to have right. like a basically like the a midnight, midnight showdown. So, um, yeah, the next big sequence is them uh, arriving in the 
yeah. plaza that they were told to be at and um oh and in the in the meantime uh Limubai has has come to peking himself. yeah Limubai oh. has come back and they have they have a, a like a kind of tense meeting between him and uh, uh michelle yo's character yeah and i i think that this you know this next sequence is really great too it's it almost yeah. rivals the first scene for me just the way the tension mm-hmm. builds in this fight as well but you get yeah. uh it's kind of like this kind of three or four people at a time fighting yeah and it's like and shows the cheng pei still got it yeah, yeah. she is yeah. awesome in this fight and uh i really like the bumbling kind of guard i think his <laughs> yeah. name is bo where he yeah, he's but... almost more of an a hindrance to the fight than uh yeah. an assistant <laughs> to the battle yeah he's like stuck on a leash like the sort of iron leash in the beginning so he can't yeah he has this, this, this claw and uh claw on a rope thing that you you know you think he's gonna throw at you know, them but he ends up just sticking it to a tree and forgetting that right. and runs and just pulls him right back and, and he's then using later this jade fox uses this um acupressure to sort of par- temporary yes yeah, again kind of a like we were saying before about the a few episodes ago about fist of the north star it's very like totally hitting the pressure points <laughs> only instead of it snapping his neck and or his back in half it's it's, he just gets frozen in place the other thing i like are like the artistic touches too where when the fight breaks out there's this like there's really nice shot of just the nighttime sky and you see that the trees are getting rustled because this this fight is breaking out and the crows that were all in the tree like all take off at at once so it kind of gives you this added kind of flair to how important this situation is like matthew was saying like jade fox doesn't play by the rules so she's got a lot of like sneaky tricks that she uses in this fight so she's got kind of like a staff that she's fighting with and um she can like there's like a hidden knife in the staff and she's got like um like a we've seen it in other movies oh yeah we've seen it before the toe blade yeah yeah she uses that and the the guard he's using this huge like it almost seems like it's a weapon you would use if you were like on a horse or something it's just yeah. this giant blade on a staff i and looked it, has it these up it's ring, called the rings on the blade yeah the rings on it's called a guando guando oh, nice. guandao yeah it's like this huge weapon and it, he again like you said like he gets in the way there's like a great shot where he's just kind of stuck in between the police officer and jade (laughs) fox where he's just kind of like holding tight to himself and they're she like takes advantage of like this little loop in his sword and she sticks her blade in it and then she's completely manipulating his sword and fighting against the officer through him um yep you know, we definitely see the spirit of Yuan Wuping and something, something like that. Mm-hmm. For uh, sure, for sure. And then and, uh, we should say, yeah, Li Mubai uh, swoops yeah, so in. Yeah, say that Li Mubai comes in and just completely turns the tide of the battle completely. Yeah, he's got a great entrance. He just like swoops down from a tree. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, you ambushed me!" And uh, he immediately unparalyzes the guard. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you kind of have like just a little breathing time to just like recover from this fight that just happened and he kind of lets them lets you know the audience their little history so um she killed his master even though i guess she was in she was like either wanted to train in wudan or she was just there and 
she ended up poisoning his master and running away with uh, like a martial arts manual. Right. So yeah. Well, and then she yeah, shares basically. a cool part of her backstory, which is really on theme for the movie. She said, "Yeah, he would sleep with me, but he would never train me." You know. So she's yeah. she's been shackled by the same kind of uh, you know patriarchal forces or whatever. Um, yeah. All, you know, not that we're really meant to sympathize uh, with Jade Fox all, all that much, because like we said, she is sneaky and backhanded and all that stuff. But yeah, it's just this theme that that runs through it all. And just rewatching some of this footage, we just gotta say, Chow Young Fat is just a beautiful human on camera. It's like the cam- <laughs> the camera just guy. loves him, and it's you know this is one of those things you really do need to have a big movie star in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's I'm got really looking forward kind to of see him doesn't some other work stuff. any other any other way. And yeah, and he, love... he had never done a traditional <laughs> Chinese yeah. martial arts film before. That's you what know? I was gonna say. I love how it's yeah. like you can take these stars. And you can mold them into this. And, you know, it's a skill that you you can practice for years and years. But some of these actors can just take to that. Either they put in the hard work or they're just naturally available for it. And he just looks so, so good on the screen. He's got this graceful way about him when he's fighting. And yeah, totally. kind of has like this kind of, he always has that mentor type aura in all of his fights. It's yeah, it's it's cool stuff, but yeah. So I he totally. really handle handles Jade Fox, and um, but before he can finish her off, uh, the thief shows up again, and he immediately sees that she's got the green destiny. So um, he's kind of distracted by that, and Jade Fox uses this in the fight to kind of she wants to kill this other guy, uh, the police officer. Right. So. Mm while they're fighting and he's distracted with uh the thief she uses whatever that little crescent like yeah like weapon the crescent he, thing he throws it at her and thing yeah yeah she uses that to uh kill him yeah it just sticks straight yeah, into his gruesome. forehead it's yeah it's pretty well that, that was another thing i was going to say about this movie there's really not as much blood as you would expect from some of the stuff that happens in, sure. in the movie. Sure. Like there's, there's a very noticeable bit later where there's a good bit of blood, but like in this scene, you know, this knife is sticking directly out of his head, but it's like just, you know, it's just sticking in his head. You don't see, like you see right. like a little bit of blood around. Yeah. It, and it's in not... the tea house later, um, I know there's one guy who's, uh, she's like, knocks in the mouth and he has like this really bloody oh mouth. right but yeah you're right yeah, yeah, otherwise yeah. it's pretty wide do you guys remember uh in the u.s is this did this get an r rating or a pg i'm pretty sure it's pg-13 rating? yeah i'm not sure i'm trying to remember i'll, I'll look it up while we're I, I don't know but i'm pretty sure it's pg-13 because mm. i feel like i remember seeing it advertises like that so the next the the next bit is it you know cuts to the next day and we can see that uh, Shu Lian is definitely like that. She's really cornering in on Jin, and like knows that she's way more skilled and and capable than she lets on. Right. Like, there's a great little bit where she like pushes a teacup off of the table, and Jin like instinctively just yeah. grabs it mm-hmm. and puts it it's back amazing. on. Yeah, it's her sort of like I knew it was you, Frodo, or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but what yeah, it's so great about it, and we said earlier that she's a detective with like so much tact and kind of instinct mm-hmm. for humans. So she kind of goes and sees it as two separate tracks. That okay, Jade Fox is a murderer, and 
that needs to be dealt with. But I, you know, I kind of think that the green destiny can be returned and like no harm, no foul. And in a mm. really subtle way, um, honestly, Wong Fei Hong would be proud of how sort of oh, Confucius, yeah. like she sort of For hand, sure. handles that. Um, but yeah, it's a great <laughs> way where, you know, it, they clearly understand each other. And it's also like she's not betraying Jen because earlier they, uh, Jen had said like, oh, I want to sort of look at you like a sister, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of, yeah, kind of respecting that. Um, but her mother clearly... It's kind of oblivious to all of it, and in fact, she she sounds like she would be pretty pretty heartless if she actually knew, you know, what her daughter daughter had done. So like, nice yeah, because she says something like, there. "Oh, maybe the thief and the killer are one and the same," and yeah, Shulian yeah, has to kind of, like you said, like definitely separate the two. Like, oh, listen, like there's redemption here. The you know. If this person brings back the sword, this could be all right, but this person's a killer. And those words do end up getting to her because as the thief, she then goes to take the sword back. Right. And um, <laughs> when she does she do that, she just though, can't stay away. Yeah, Limu Bai is waiting for her. But his whole motivation is kind of trying to get to her like uh, as a student. Like he sees the skill that she has and even though that mm-hmm. she might be kind of like on the wrong side of the fence right now he can see that with the right teacher she could yeah. be uh basically like a prodigy uh where it would even surpass the laws of wudan where they wouldn't allow a woman and he he wants to try and get to her but uh she's very rebellious and um she doesn't like people telling her what to do basically so yeah. there's a really cool like okay. kind of cat and mouse scene here f- too, and she's yeah. being very stubborn. And he actually gets like a stick, and he's out. Oh, this like, is terrific! It's a really great scene where he's kind of outplaying her just with the stick, where every movement because right. he, he has he's the green destiny back by this point, but he doesn't even he doesn't even like employ it, and that's really yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Ang Lee said this was kind of twisting the cliche where the student is usually like uh, sort of relentlessly pursuing the master, like, please train me, please train me. Mm. Um, And here it's kind of, yeah, it's sort of the opposite. Yeah, a teacher searching for a student. And one thing that I really liked, uh, we saw it earlier, but we definitely kind of hear it throughout this scene, is that even though both Jin and Jade Fox read this Wudong manual, uh, Jin is way better at it than right. Jade Fox is, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it's kind of funny because after seeing Jade Fox taking care of those three other people pretty handily, as soon as Wu Dong gets introduced into it, then she just falls apart. And like she can kind of fly a little bit, but like she can't get nearly as much like height and everything off of it. And right. I just thought it was kind of funny that you know she's she's supposed to be this old you know old uh you know kind of master. But then she's completely outdone by a student who, you know, is way younger than her and had the same training as her, essentially. Yeah, yeah. it's cool because, yeah, even though Jade Fox stole that manual, you get the sense that she couldn't read everything in it. Um, and since uh, Jen was kind of like a wealthy, like kind of educated young woman, yeah. she had access to that knowledge and she kind of realized it at a young age 
that with that knowledge she'd be able to surpass Jade Fox and instead of sharing it with her she kept it to herself and up until this point because she she, felt guilty actually yeah but she never encountered anybody that would require her to use these skills and when she encountered Limu Bai and actually in that encounter with her out in the field with the police um, the courtyard with the police officer there's a really cool shot where um she's gonna she jumps and she's gonna strike down at Limu Bai uh Jen's character and the camera is kind of from her perspective tracking down towards him and you you know the camera's looking at him and you can see by his expression that he realizes that this isn't a move that somebody else should know like right she learned this you know from wudan like how did she know this move and that was something that led jade fox to realize that uh she'd experienced this betrayal from jen but it's interesting because jen didn't want to betray her and i, I think it's something that might might read a little clearer to to Chinese audiences or something where it's like she has this sense of kind of duty and honor to her master where she felt actually really torn up about about surpassing her you know mm, and had yeah. done so you know years ago and so it's yeah you just kind of adding to the layers of Jen's character who's you know complicated from the beginning and never gets any less complicated in this movie. Um, yeah so the you know, it's like um, you're always getting like a new piece of information that kind of like is pointed in the other direction just, yeah I don't know, fascinating yeah. so we've got the green destiny back where it belongs and mm-hmm. um Ooh. you get a little scene of shulian and uh limu by talking with each other but um quickly after right, that we get a really cool really cool scene with limu by like basically kind of re like reuniting with yeah. green destiny yeah. where he does all these amazing um you know swing the sword around doing some great you know jumps in the air and kicks and stuff uh and that and that leads into their their uh conversation yeah well, it, fat looks great in this uh in this sequence <laughs> here you know not having yeah. any background in in something like that and uh trained mm-hmm. quite a bit i think he trained yeah i want to say it was like four or five months or something something oh yeah that's awesome and and they really uh deft use of doubles and stuff i like when michelle's in the foreground and he's sort of in this like blurry Mm -hmm. bouquet in the lens and it's that's another performer there but uh really well yeah really well done here in this nighttime scene but yeah sorry like you guys were saying then they have this really interesting conversation this is where he's mentioning how you know he kind of wants to focus on getting Jen or, you know, whoever this thief is as a student. And Shulian yeah. kind of takes the other side of it. Like, hey, you know, you know, this is a distraction. Like we should, you know, we should be moving away from these things. And, and she's kinda... speaking for herself, too, because it's yeah. like it's kind of heartbreaking. Like her whole life she's been told, oh, no, I, I actually don't have permission for this. And I need to keep honoring mm-hmm. my husband. And now. I think she has kind of this, you know, it's subtle, but I think the sort of almost like double, uh, double sided jealousy where it's like that he takes an interest in her at all. And then Mm -hmm. that he would kind of change the rules, uh, you know, not for her, but for, for Jen. And yeah, yeah. I I like that read. That's good. That's good. And so this next scene, this is whenever the desert bandit low comes in and just like breaks into Jen's room at night and basically asks her to run away with him. 
and this is whenever we get the the flashback where it goes back to the desert where we see this big caravan and she gets uh like this raiding party comes in and and uh and this is kind of cool we get to see some i don't know there's something great about a bunch of guys with swords riding on horses in a desert. <laughs> totally. Like, I don't know. It always gets me. Yeah, for sure. And there's some really cool, you know, after the bandits all show up. And um, so it's uh, Jen and her mother in kind of like a little, I don't know what, what you called it. Like, not like a rickshaw or something in the caravan. <laughs> where it, I guess it is like a rickshaw, but it's uh-huh. covered. And um, the bandits all show up and... The main bandit, who will find out his, he goes by Dark Cloud. His name is Low. He sees her right. jade comb and he steals that comb. And um, it's kind of funny because her mother's like, "Don't you know? Don't stay out by the window." And she like p- immediately passes out. <laughs> like when he takes the comb, the next shot they <laughs> right, show, right. she looks back and her mom's just out she's like completely passed out mm. but yeah. she's filled yeah. with conviction she wants that comb back so she actually kind of rustles a horse of her own and she makes chase it's it's yeah. pretty awesome how how determined she is about everything and she's almost not afraid of anything at when this starts she's almost interested like she's watching everything like oh what's right. happening it's not like she's like oh my god are they gonna kill me or or stuff like that so um yeah the this there's like a cool like horse it's like a horse fight scene from a distance it's shot it's, it's pretty nice it's it's mm. uh low and jen each have a horse and she's like starting off by like shooting arrows at him and he's dodging and then she has a spear and then kind of knocks her off but um yeah it's really kind of cool to see the horse fight and it's great whenever they're like wrestling over the comb <laughs> yeah. that that this just it just keeps going and right, it'll like it'll like fade out and then show that yeah. they're still like wrestling and circling around the sand. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then like they're fighting him, but they're both like really weak and keep falling over. And the well, music and even great kind of plays with that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like English horn and stuff and all mm-hmm. that and all mm-hmm. the like desert portion of the movie. And you know, we've seen her as such a like a uh, graceful and accomplished fighter. And I like that. It's just kind of like this wild teenager here. She just kind of mm-hmm. keeps like pounding on him, And, um, you know, they're both wearing these like really loose fitting clothes and are like mm. so tired out in the desert. And yeah, I like that eventually they both just tire themselves out, uh, kind of like yeah. wrestling, wrestling with each other. And she wakes up, uh, not really knowing where she is. Yeah, and this sort of like pirate's cave. And this is such an yeah. awesome location. Pirate's cave. I like that. Wow. <laughs> and I don't know, there's I can't quite put my finger on it, but um there's something there's a dynamic in their relationship that I so love where I get little traces of like Buttercup and the man in black before he reveals yeah, himself to be yeah. Wesley. Oh. I don't know, it's it's kind of one you. of my favorite things. I can't explain it. Like he's like sort of this benevolent captor or whatever. Yeah, um, and I also love that as soon as like she she finds out that he you know took her in and like you know put her, you know laid her down bed and gives her some tea and stuff. And chicken, but then yeah. as soon as she gets a chance to, she runs out and hits him in the back of the head <laughs> yeah, and tries to run away. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and she basically runs as far as she can, not really knowing where she is. Uh, until she collapses again, and then she wakes up, and she's back in the cave. And she's back in the same place. Still still determined to get the comb back. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. And he's he's literally taking a thorn out of her out of her foot, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is, I think, kind of kind of a nice touch. And yeah, I I don't know. I think Angli handles this this really well. I mean, this is a difficult. These are difficult kind of beats to handle, like turning over from like being kind of adversarial to like into the throes of passion. But like you were saying, Carlos, mm. you could tell right from the beginning, she's like, uh, you know, she is stubborn and tough, but she is fascinated by this guy from the moment she yeah. first sees him. And um, it could just be a lot about, you know, her, you know, not in this flashback, but flashing forward in the earlier scene, she's very envious of this freedom that she wants. And, right. um, this guy has that life basically and in a lot of oh, ways totally. their personalities are very similar because she's demanding the comb from him and he says like something like nobody tells me what to do and um yeah. you know eventually this kind of whether it's you know uh tension or aggression or whatever it turns into this passion and they're both over- mm. overcome with that and they kind of are you know they realize that they're they're basically meant to be together in this well, and, and she she gets this blade at one point just before like the kind of passionate moment and he doesn't defend himself and she stabs him like almost in the heart yeah um, <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah it's pretty it's pretty brutal but it's also i don't know somehow yeah. like leads right into kind of this like yeah the throes of their yeah. passion yeah Oof. And so after that, then she kind of becomes a part of his kind of society for a little for a little bit. Uh, we see again another really cool, I think, kind of criminally underrepresented area of the world, um, and kind of. Uh, I mean, it it was probably part of Mongolia. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be, but it's definitely right. like the you know the the steppes where it's like all the the mountains with all the grass along the side and. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, I think they I shot was, it somewhere always... near, like, Kazakhstan. Um, I think it's kind of yeah. north of, like, Tibet. But, yeah, that whole region of Central Asia, like you're saying, Matthew, is, I think, uh, not always, like, kind of considered by uh, a lot of the Western world. And, and um, it's a beautiful yeah. contrast to the desert scenes that you see minutes before. Yeah. yeah. And this part is whenever we're introduced to this, uh, did the mountain have a name? Or I didn't uh, remember if I had think a name they, or not. Wasn't but... it like the Yellow Mountain or something like that? Uh, something like I don't that. know if they said, I, but, at um, least not in the subtitle version. I don't know if they say the mountain itself. Uh, according to this, it says Mount Mudong. Oh. So. Oh, well, um, at, the, to, at the end, that's definitely oh, no, where they are. That's the difference. Sorry. That's where they end up at the end. Yeah. But, um, but it's, uh, but he looks out to this mountain and says that there's like this old myth that if you, um, if you cast yourself from the mountain, then you'll like you and make a wish, then that wish will will come true. But yeah, it's this really bittersweet uh, legend because he was talking about this boy that was ill, and so he wished not yeah. to be ill, but basically he floated away, never to be seen again. So it's like, yeah. it's that oh, really interesting, like almost careful what you wish for sort of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. But it's really in step with with this movie. You know, we talked about like there's kind of clouds, um, kind of. Cat like kind of cast over the the story from the beginning. You know, Lee Mubai talks about interrupting his meditation because there's this just this sadness that uh, he can't let go of. And oh yeah, this is also the part in the film where uh, Tandun first introduces kind of the main theme of the score. We nomads have a legend 
You see that mountain there on the right? If you jump off, your wish will be granted. A long time ago, a man's children were very ill, so he jumped. He didn't die. He wasn't even hurt. He just floated away happily, never to return. He knew his children were well again. And the hands, they also say it. What really makes wishes come true is the trust in the heart. Or sort of the, oh, the, sure. love, the love theme. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, mm. that's playing pretty prominently during this whole part of the movie. Yeah, and basically by the end of this flashback, instead of her wanting the comb back, she gives it to him and says that, um, you know, when they meet again, like, they'll be able to exchange the comb. And um, then it flashes forward to them, uh, you know, with him breaking into the room. But she seems to kind of have a change of heart right now, and she tells him to leave. So he's kind of like, come on, what the heck? Like, I just came back for you. This is what you wanted, <laughs> yeah. right? So he gives her the comb, like, here you go, take this comb. And um, the following day, I don't know if this is like the wedding ceremony or a, a wedding yeah, parade. Yeah, that's how like, I read it. Yeah, it's like a huge parade. And um, she's she all, has this. Uh, Jin has this incredible outfit yeah. on, and also like all really bright reds. And, yeah, I and feel gold. like in the first scene in the movie when she's first shown the the dress that she's wearing in that scene is really pretty too. It looks yeah. like. All this stuff looks really expensive. <laughs> and no, it was handmade and apparently took, oh, I wrote it down somewhere, but I think it was like five weeks to embroider. Uh, oh, man. Or something like that. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, two two months to embroider. I, um, I believe that dress. It. I and then in the, totally the, the scene that's just about to come up where she's uh, clad fully in red in that, um, and she's in that sort of caravan, that mm -hmm. also was another, I think, like two-month hand-embroidered oh man yeah it's crazy it looks really crazy but low uh crashes the parade he's like hey come on like <laughs> yeah. you know come with me so uh, yeah. there's a bunch of guards that are kind of wrestling with him and he kind of is making a run for it and Lee Mubai kind of gets in the way too so they kind of right. corner him and they're Lee Mubai and Shulian are kind of questioning him about things and they get his backstory of his relationship with uh Jen so right, they're like, wait, so you really think that she would she would leave you? And he's like really kind of despondent. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I like the scene. It sort of shows like, um, you know, they've got his side. And I think they really are looking out for, for Jen's best interests too, you know. Yeah, and you get a kind of a little bit of Lee Mu Bai's kind of perspective on um, how you would act if you loved somebody because he's kind right. of scolding him like hey if you really loved her you wouldn't do that and you can see that Julian yeah. takes note of that like oh like yeah <laughs> <laughs> like oh is that how you feel yeah and then the the scene after this I think is yeah where um it's almost comedic they go oh the the you see the guards running around at night with their lanterns and the sword's gone again and Surtees <laughs> like it's gone, it's here, it's gone. Like, yeah, what's going on it's, here? Yeah, it's like the movie's recognizing, uh, okay, take it again. Yep. We find out that, of course, it was Jin again who took it this time, but she was like running away and is disguising herself as a, as a man. Right. 
Yeah, I I, um, I like that it seems um it seems that like the interruption of the parade at first was like not at all successful. Yeah. But it does seem like it was some kind of catalyst for her um you know maybe not to run away with with Lowe at this point, but at least to run away to run from away. the marriage. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get another really cool fight scene and again a very I think a really strong callback to come drink yeah. with me. I agree. Well, I think for, for, well, first we have like a tiny little scene where she's just like dining outside at this, yeah. at this lodge. But yeah, she's, I mean, she's dining outside and is, you know, trying to, you know, laying low and has like a thing as a, a hat that covers up all of the, you know, her long, really nice hair and everything. And, uh, she kind of gets like threatened by these these two guys, and she does this like great shot where she like pulls the sword out of the sheath and then puts it back, and then the both the guys' weapons just fall apart. <laughs> um, and, and like, come drink with me. They're all recognizing her as though uh, it's a man. Yeah, it's, it's very clearly a man, even though it's it's not like it. Maybe, maybe like a a, a boy, but right. definitely not, you know, a grown man. Yeah. So, and she's yeah. kind of making a name for herself by doing this because she says they once once she strikes with the sword, they go, "Oh, do you know Limu Bai?" And she yeah. says, "Like he's my <laughs> defeated foe." And that's like, yeah. "Whoa, yeah, wait a yeah. second." <laughs> it's like, uh, maybe you know, it might be might be jumping the gun there. But she's kind of like, uh, I feel like she's saying that because she knows that they're going to tell other people and it's going to bring yeah, the yeah. action. Cause it's it going to get definitely mm-hmm. looks like she's just out to cause trouble now. Yeah. Yeah. She's just kind of trying to, which that's definitely feels very much like her. We're thinking about a dark cloud and thinking he's kind of like, you know, kind of a troublemaker guy and he's, he's all free. So, you know, I can, I can do that too. Right. Yeah, sure. And yeah, I mean, I guess she's uh, going through like so much emotionally right now and it's cool. She's not, maybe mature enough to kind of handle that or direct it in a, in a healthy way. But, um, but I don't know. Yeah. It just kind of keeps at adding to how fascinating her character is. Um, but yeah, sorry to cut you off earlier. Yeah. But then we get into the amazing tea house. Tea house scene. Oh yep. my gosh. Just definitely similar to definitely feels very similar to come drink with me. that had a, uh, you know, another similar, you know, person comes into the tea house and all these, you know, intimidating people surround her, but she, you know, handles everyone, you know, pretty handily. Yeah, there's a great collection of back to back. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there's a great collection of characters in this scene. All these these martial artists that have arrived from who knows where. Just crazy weapons, too. It's like one after another. There's, There's a guy that has an abacus. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, yeah there's like a dude that and it definitely seems like that's his fighting style i want to see him fight <laughs> but he gets wrecked like everyone else there's some dudes with huge like medicine balls like yeah, yeah i wasn't quite sure what those were like this guy has these two things that it looks like medicine balls on the end of of sticks and i love that and... she's just basically mocking everyone like oh <laughs> you there's a, the first guy that comes up to her. He's like, I'm like an iron, iron arm. fist. Or yeah. Iron arm. Yeah. She's yeah. like, oh, what kind of iron arm is that? And she rips his sleeve off and it looks like, you know, he's got like an iron brace. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what makes him strong, not his style. And then uh, the other one that I really like is the guy something like Mountain Phoenix Go or something. And she's like, 
A name I abhor. When I hear it, my ears start to ache. I feel like vomiting. And suddenly I cannot hold back my sword hand's anger. <laughs> and it yeah, just cuts great. to him getting like exploded out of the tea house. Yeah. It's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, the but whole the, staging of the sequence is like amazing because it's not only that the choreography is really exciting and awesome, but the way that Ang Lee and Peter Pao move the camera and mm -hmm. just how much activity there is in the frame at all times. And you're like, you're seeing things like through the windows of the tea house and then you're up the stairs and then you're down the stairs. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and the way the place is arranged, it looks pretty complicated because there's like a bridge inside the tea house and you know like so there's like a top floor and a bottom floor and right. you get to see her just destroy everything and the timing after she just whoops everybody down like one <laughs> one the of the best. guys is saying because like, they're all saying their names like i'm the such and right. such from this region yeah, and i'm yeah. like the legendary blah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah and she's just kind of mocking them all like oh you're a monk what are you doing in a place like this and <laughs> Yeah. He asks her what her name is, and then she has this awesome kind of like, yeah. I'm giving she, like, the speech of my name, but I'm totally beating everyone up at the same time. Yeah. Mm. It's really cool. You want to know who I am? I am the Invisible Sword Goddess with the green destiny that knows no equal. I am the dragon from the desert who appears from nowhere and leaves no trace. That's when yep. she like And this is I kept I kept expecting her to say, I am the crouching tiger hidden dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yet what she says something like "I'm the goddess of the green destiny" or something like that. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, she says a whole bunch. Yeah, it's amazing. And this is—I think this is maybe some of the most impressive uh, wire work. Particularly, there's that great mm -hmm. sequence uh, where her character is like spinning um, yeah. with the sword, like up to the next level, and then like lands perfectly and like goes right into some more. I like when fighting. she bursts through like the doorway and everybody's oh, just like, great. oh, like getting hit flying yeah. back. And she's just really gracefully flying out forwards. It's really dramatic. It looks cool. Yeah, yeah. totally. But the timing of the, the end of this fight is great, too, because she's beaten everybody and everybody's all beat up. And it's just kind of this still shot of the tea house. And then like with perfect comedic timing, the bridge in the <laughs> center of the tea house collapses. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good yeah gosh yeah it's amazing. yeah no that's that was the one thing that struck me in this movie a lot is that there's there's a lot more comedy in it than yeah. you expect yeah like, it's, it's definitely not funny. a full-on it's not a full-on kung fu comedy certainly but there's like there's enough moments of of comedy stuck in there that don't really they don't feel out of place it's yeah just we've been low, low used levity. to these jarring transitions and now we mm -hmm. get this very graceful movement in between all of these emotions yeah. it's, it's yeah. very well done that's a really good point um uh, i mean we might talk at the end about like how influential this movie was for like chinese action movies that came later but i think when i think about a lot of those films whether it's like hero or house of flying daggers or um uh curse of jade scorpion or whatever it's like i think a lot of times there may be you could you could almost say they're over serious at times um mm -hmm. and yeah. there's definitely a serious like heavy dramatic tone to crouching tiger but 
it's such a well-balanced dish. I mean, the action is like really exciting. Like you said, there's a lot that's really funny. And the 20-minute desert sequence at the middle of the movie is really special and kind of, you know, breaks from the, the tone of, you know, of the, the rest of the film. And um, yeah. if you just kind of follow in its footsteps with just more of the sort of dour, serious kind of Shakespearean side, um, yeah, I don't know that you have the same kind Even of Shakespeare balanced... had funny moments. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think prior to the tea house, uh, we had a little, uh, why don't you and I split up kind of moment um, with mm-hmm. Chao Yung-Fat and Michelle Yeoh, because she's now sort of back to her, uh, to sort of her home, which is where we met her at the beginning. And we talked about um, the opening of the movie kind of revealing a location that would come to, um, that would come to be a fight location later. Um, so anyways, she's sort of back home and not long after she's arrived, uh, Jen shows up and it's really interesting kind of emotionally, like what's going on here. Um, Michelle is like still trying to respect her and kind of play that big sister role. But she also knows that she's stolen the green destiny and like, you know, there's kind of no use pretending, but she's not, I guess she's not entirely sure, um, you know, what, like what amount of this is staged and what amount of this is real because Jen's coming in sort of weeping about the arranged marriage and everything. Um, yeah, it's, but, it's, but they've heard about all her, you know, her terrorizing the tea shop and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, definitely a test of Julian's patience because right. um, Jen's coming into this and she's being very manipulative. She's kind of being a brat in this whole scene where it's like, Oh, I'm so sad about this stuff. And, you know, they're going to force me to marry and then this and that. Yeah. But Shulian's like, listen, like, what about all this stuff you've done? And the the moment that she mentions that, like, right, Jen kind of turns it. on her, you know, like she gets this kind of pouty face and she's like going to leave. And then she grabs the sword and that's what sets off this situation. And uh, Shulian's like, nah, you can't leave with the sword. You got to yeah. you got to put that back. and jen's ready to fight so we get we get another amazing fight scene here yeah this is um, yeah this is kind of i mean we talk about probably in every movie there's sort of like a worth the price of admission sequence Uh, i mean we've already had a lot of those in crouching tiger but this might be the the one if you had to pick one i i think ang lee said like this is sort of in uh his opinion like the fight of the of the movie and really emotionally like it is an actual fight you know a lot of Mm -hmm. the other action sequences sequences that we've seen um are either like moments of kind of mystery or confusion or other kinds of conflict um this is a uh a fight with you know really strong uh emotional stakes and i like how you said it carlos it's like she's really impestuous jen you know Mm -hmm. um we can kind of identify this teenager that's feeling a lot of emotions but she's just she's never responding in a way that actually helps her own situation and Julianne is trying her best but uh by this point she has to kind of draw a line and like say no further you know and this is like on her own home turf and it's great early in the earlier in the movie whenever whenever Julianne is showing Jin the the green destiny to very you know just at the very beginning she says that she prefers having like a curved sword right, right. Uh, as opposed to the straight sword of the green destiny. And so this scene is whenever we get an amazing, another amazing Michelle Yeoh close up where oh, uh, 
she's holding like has her hand out and has the the curved sword up while like slowly zooms in and then i love it cuts over to jen who has the the green destiny up and whenever it comes down like it goes down the sword and comes onto her face and then you see she kind of like darts her eyes back and forth between the sword and and, and Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. She like as yeah. as amazing as she is, she's definitely doesn't have, you know, the confidence that uh Shulian does. Right. And gosh, I mean, I don't know. I think this is uh at least f- like for me this is maybe one of like the most like beautifully choreographed and filmed and edited and performed, you know, yeah. fight sequences. It's just I I think before in our magnificent butcher episode this is dorky but like uh, i said <laughs> that the fight when um like they're like with uh yunbyu and lam ching where they're all defending the school like mm-hmm. i like i like, try to watch that once a year just to like <laughs> i don't know like improve life yeah and this is another one of I those fights that like i try to watch once a year it's just and it's a similar idea too because you see like a billion different types of weapons all being right. introduced and like as as weapons get destroyed, then she'll go and grab more. And there's a great other bit of comedy where she grabs this one <laughs> big piece, and it's way too heavy for her, and falls down to the ground. And yeah, so awesome. she just drops it and goes and grabs a different one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what it is is like, you know, Shulian's so skilled with all these weapons, but the Green Destiny is such an amazing sword that you know, like, mm-hmm. it's hard to you know match it so slowly but surely all the weapons she's using are getting destroyed and yeah she's got like the double like sword she's got like these like hooked swords that i think are really cool and actually i thought about uh cynthia rothrock because i think cynthia rothrock says that those hooked swords were like one of her favorite weapons to use in demonstrations and um those get dismantled pretty easily and she grabs a staff and then she grabs this i don't know what it is but it's like kind of this thick iron rod but you handle it like a sword yeah and um she kind of wheels it like a lightsaber (laughs) oh sure okay (laughs) (laughs) and um it's really cool because the weight of the weapon's very apparent she's slamming on the ground you see the tiles breaking she's just like Mm -hmm. effortlessly like slamming through tables and chairs and every time she strikes and uh jen has to defend herself she's getting like pushed back really hard where they're actually using the strings to show her kind of float back in defense and um even still like the green destiny ends up slicing that thing off too so you get kind of like a dramatic uh shot of uh shulian grabbing like a two-handed like chinese sword Mm-hmm. and yeah. that's really cool to see that too like like a two-handed sword versus this like kind of paperweight one-handed mm-hmm. green destiny sword and like that yeah. these two swords are like standing up to each other like that just shows you like the strength of the sword as well it's pretty awesome yeah and then i think uh uh yeah shortly after that like jen has still sort of bested her you know mostly just because of how powerful the green destiny is and then she uh she tries to like she's about to like touch the blade of the green destiny and Julianne is like don't touch it and it's mm-hmm. like oh yeah that's cool um, yeah. and in the commentary Ang Lee is actually he didn't go into a lot of detail but he was saying pretty much like that sort of represents you know Li Mu Bai like and oh, kind sure. of her feelings about 
you know, it's like, it's not your place to kind of be that, you know, that close to him. Yeah. I like that. That's great. Oh, this, this encounter ends with, um, Shulian kind of getting the, like the, the winning move on Jen and telling her to give the sword away. But, um, Jen kind of breaks like the Kung Fu movie rules and kind of nicks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah she and he's like, what? You drew blood on me in this scene? Like, so then yeah. she kind of escapes. But, um, and Lee Mubai jumps in to kind of, yeah. uh, you know, save the day uh, for like the fifth time in the movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I love that he says to her, like, you're not worthy of that sword, which is just funny to hear after, you know, she's maybe not worthy in the honor sense, but she's, totally wrecking everyone with it yeah it's kind of getting to her head and this Um, is where you really get a scene of you know you you kind of have to live in this movie right you they couldn't have shown you this right away like you kind of have to be like over an hour into the movie to accept this scene Mm -hmm. because they're literally like floating over and actually there's a shot of them like jumping over a body of water and Uh I, i i I don't know if that's it's really far away that shot so maybe it is cg or maybe it there, is there are some there yeah there's some cg in that um when yeah. they're like kind of tiptoeing mm-hmm. on that pool and then uh, we should say like um there is some use of uh you know computer graphic stuff in the post-production um mm-hmm. which made this movie possible it was mostly in you in the use of wire removal um yes which, uh, i was about to say it's it's in pretty subtle ways it's not like there's not a you know N64 yeah. graphics version of of uh, Chow Yun Fat <laughs> right right standing and then on bamboo um, like and then sometimes when there's under cranking they do this kind of motion blur that's really that's unique. what I was gonna ask you about too yeah um, yeah it's like uh I don't know exactly how to describe it but it kind of helps it sort of helps sell the under cranking in like sort of a different way than you've, mm-hmm. you've seen before mm-hmm. um but yeah there I think there's I think. Yeah, a lot of the elements in that pool shot were probably computer generated, and then I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of wire removal in the bamboo scene. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know about you and guys, but so I wasn't. Oh, sorry. I was. Well, during this whole scene with them in by the pool and the, like the bamboo forest and everything, I was just thinking, I'm not a hundred percent sure where they shot it because some of the shots look very clearly like they were, you know, in a, in a sound stage with you know big old bamboo trees. But some of it, I was thinking, how like how would they have gotten wires outside like that? I don't know, man. Like, yeah, no, it's it's a good because it's a like good it, question. If they, it's a, they did apparently shoot um like on location in this bamboo forest. I think it's uh, I can't remember where it is in China, but they're saying it's like basically as large as the state of Connecticut. That's like almost co- covered in Whoa. bamboo. And apparently there was um uh there's an interesting story um. Uh, Chow Young Fat's wife, I think her name is uh, Jasmine. She, I guess, like all the sort of stunt approval for Chow Young Fat would normally have to go through her. Um, so they'd have to say like, okay, well, is this, we want to do this kind of sequence, you know, is that okay? Um, but apparently she had gone to the bathroom during some of this uh, bamboo <laughs> sequence. And while she was in the bathroom, they asked Chow Young Fat, like, hey, can we put you up 75 feet in the air um, on this <laughs> tree and he's like uh, sure yeah let's do it so i guess when she came back from the bathroom she's like yeah. where's chow and it's like no yeah. um, they're like hurry up hey, we gotta looks... ask him all this stuff before <laughs> yeah. she gets back but it looks great yeah you know i haven't seen a lot of i don't think i've seen any behind the scenes footage like from this part of the movie so yeah mm. i don't know how 
I really don't know how they're doing it, I guess. And they're saying, uh, they're, some of this is kind of an homage to an old King Who movie, uh, Touch of Zen. Um, mm. But there isn't really much flying in the bamboo. I mean, there's a little bit of like trampoline stuff, but it's more kind of on the ground. But I don't know about you guys, but I remember this like selling the movie in a big way, like in the, at least for the U.S. Oh, yeah. promotional campaign. Yeah, uh, I remember seeing that was, scene all over the, yeah, it was the commercials. Very much about everything. the the bamboo sort of the magical realism of this. Yeah, it was like something that I actually would think even at the time I remember thinking like people aren't going to like this. They're going to think it's all weird and goofy like people floating around, but <laughs> I don't know. It, there was something I don't know if it was the timing of this movie or what, but everyone ate this up like nobody you you didn't even see a lot of parodies like with a movie this successful you would think there would be people parodying the scene stuff like that like everybody loved it like i'm you know my parents i mean i don't know my dad liked these movies and stuff too but i my parents watched and they loved it and you know i was like not expecting it to be as popular as it was well, you know, it might it might have something to do with like uh, I think you were talking about this, Matthew, but like practical effects. You know, it's like let's say when you watch The Empire Strikes Back, and it's like you can tell like the tauntauns are like this like stop motion or go motion or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like there's it doesn't maybe look totally realistic or whatever, right? Um, and there's there's some of that maybe uncanniness here, but it's weird like the uncanniness from practical effects still have some kind of charm or there's something really so they have charm they're yeah. not they're not cold because at the end of the yeah. day you know that tauntaun was a piece of clay on someone's desk that they had to move right. a bunch of times to make it look like the way it did yeah mm-hmm. and here you can see it's like the leaves are like rustling against them and they're actually there somehow mm-hmm. um you know fighting on like the branch of this tree and i don't know i think there's the the realism, however much there is there, like it goes a goes a long way somehow. Um, and there's also this movie has created like such a poetic tone. Like you were saying, Carlos, by the time you're like an hour and a half into the film, I, I think you've probably given into it if you haven't left the theater already. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, but it's I've got to say, when I was rewatching it, uh, I was kind of wondering how the scene would hit me, and I don't know. It, it seemed it's felt beautiful so um, yeah it worked for me again pleased by that yeah so you do get a little bit too after this where um he's still trying to get her to be a student you know like he's still trying to win her over and um she won't let go of that sword it's almost like it represents (laughs) like you know her independence in a way you know like she you know if she were to let go of this you know she would give up that life that she wants where she could just do whatever and um it actually comes to the point where he's he takes the sword from her and he throws it you know, like down a waterfall and she literally chooses the sword she then over dives him. after it yeah yeah and uh he's actually and surprised then jade by fox, that and yeah jade fox jade fox swings by and, and gets her and that's another great bit um earlier you can tell that even though uh even though Jen is holding her own she's really really tired and like is really struggling like there's a great bit where her hands literally just shaking violently while holding on to the sword yeah Uh, and even though she dove after the sword whenever Jade Fox gets her she still has to like nurse her back to health because she's so you know worn herself out so much right and yet even um, 
when she's in sort of Jade Fox's lair and she's being cared for, she's still clutching to the green destiny and, mm. you know, won't, won't give it up. Um, and we see that Jade Fox is lighting some sort of incense um, near her and she's acting, you know, very nurturing and basically saying like, you know, it's just you and I now, like we've, we've got to stick together. Um, you know, there's like no going back to your parents. Um, and Jen is basically just too weak to say anything or to, or to, you know, to fight back in any way. And then we find out whenever, again, Lee Mubai comes in to save the day again. Um, they, uh, Lee Mubai and Shu Lian kind of track, track her down. And they find out that it turns out she, I mean, she was already worn out, but Jade Fox actually was poisoning her to keep her, basically to keep her down. Right, yeah, uh, the incense was like poison, like poison. Yeah, yeah. he like somehow. kicks it into the water, and there is this incredible shot where um, you you think it's just uh, you think it's just Lee Mubai, Shuli, and Jin, and uh, one other guy. I, I can't remember. I remember there's another guy in the scene. But it's both. You guard. think it's just oh right, it's both. It's the yeah. guard from before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just you think it's just the four of them. And then someone says, like, look out. And then you see this just huge flurry of darts shooting yeah. in. And then Lee Mubai does this incredible, like, swing the sword back and forth to block all the darts. And uh, and this is whenever we get a good uh, a kind of bloody shot where we see Jade right. Fox try to go in. And then um, what is it that happens there? I just remember that you see, like, this like big spurt of blood coming out of her back as she gets well, it looks back. like yeah, Lee Mubai kind of lunges after her. It's interesting, yeah. I, I see what you're saying, Matthew, how this scene it's like everything happens so quickly. So it's not necessarily that he deflected those needles and they're flying back at her. It looks like there's yeah. some kind of shrapnel that comes out from whatever his attack is. And um yeah. so yeah, he gets critical hit on her and he actually <laughs> like just drives her through like but yeah in that instant you also see that uh he wasn't able to deflect one out of a million needles <laughs> yeah. and um unfortunately those needles are poisoned and he's gonna die yeah and then you yeah. get a freeze frame the end right yeah <laughs> Thank- <laughs> if it was, if it was one of the other movies then it probably would be but uh yeah. <laughs> But it is, uh, but then, yeah, it's really uh, tragic because you kind of get this, almost like this shock in you that it's like, oh man, like, what are they gonna be able to do to save him right now? Right. And mm-hmm. in her dying breath, she reveals Jade Fox reveals that even though it was him that got hit, she was really aiming at Jen because she felt so betrayed by her, mm-hmm. right. and so that's kind of a sad little thing that you get from her. But it's. It's kind of tragic all around. So you see Shulian, you know, she's reacting to this too. Like, what? no, like, this can't happen. Like, where's the antidote? And uh, Jen says that, you know, there is an antidote, but it takes a long time per- to prepare. And that she'd be willing to do it almost like as a redemption to right. get that antidote to save Limu Bai. So she makes her way and um, Limu Bai's kind of, doing this meditation just to try to hold on and the whole time Shulian's just trying to compose herself because 
she realizes that she might be losing the man that she loved and they didn't really get mm. the chance to express that to yeah, each other yeah, yeah. and it is really sad right. like kind of the mm-hmm. heart of this movie is kind of this unspoken romance between the two of them and yeah. now you see that it's turning into tragedy and yeah i mean i suppose like we were saying like there's definitely a lot of shakespearean tones to the mm-hmm. film and especially in a moment like this you know somehow we didn't uh there was a scene earlier that we didn't mention where there was sort of this peaceful uh tea that the 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 two of them were sharing oh yeah and... yeah that's like the best scene that they get that's like yeah them like the the potential that they could have had together and he kind of holds her hand and like holds it against his face and um he's kind of grappling with you know like all, yeah almost kind of finally outright in the open just saying like you know why basically have we not been able to to pursue this and there's yeah. something very tragic here because from the beginning of the movie uh Lee Mubai just wanted to give up the green destiny did not want to pursue yeah. vengeance um mm-hmm. did not want to pursue loss but that was sort of his premonition from his his meditation and you were saying Carlos you know it was kind of this unspoken love and it finally is spoken here at the end where mm-hmm. he does tell her that you know I've always loved you but it's it's literally like his dying dying breath and uh, the acting here from Chai Young Fat and Michelle Yeoh is just mm-hmm. um, amazing. And I don't know, I just, we're also lucky that we have this movie in this scene. I, I think there are plenty of people around the world that uh, maybe wrote off a lot of Hong Kong actors uh, as being kind of one dimensional or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess maybe it's human nature to, you know, make, uh, assumptions or generalizations about people but um i mean this is kind of tour de force acting here i think and this is on top of incredible physical demands for both of these performers actually michelle yo had a horrible knee injury in the middle of this movie um and i think had to get surgery so they pushed back the the fight scene with uh, her and jung si and that was like the last thing that they did oh um, but apparently this scene here um Li Mubai's death was uh, just when she had gotten back from from like recuperating from this, and she was in mm. apparently a tremendous amount of amount of pain. She really channeled that into her performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, we see that uh, Jen has she has uh, acquired the antidote, and she's riding back as fast as she can on this horse. Um, but we know it's it's too late. You know, again, it's very just, yeah. almost like a shakespearean sort of tragic um yeah beat here and then um it seems like julianne is just uh devastated she's gonna kill her yeah and she takes the yeah. green destiny she takes and, the sword and she, you think she's just gonna like hack her head off yeah. or something but and she swings but, it but yeah to her head and she just stops short and uh, apparently that was done for real normally that kind of shot you would do it uh in reverse and like you know reverse the film is um, that for real yeah. does that happen but, a lot but yeah uh, well, like when you when you do it, when you like swing it and stop just like at someone's neck or whatever. Oh, but apparently yeah. this one they wanted to do it for real, and Michelle was like super nervous about it. But Jiangxi <laughs> um, like, still lives, so yeah. Yeah, as I say, she wound up a pretty pretty good career. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, we see like despite everything that's happened, that maybe she does have, maybe Jen does have some kind of opportunity for redemption, and she is uh, given the green the green destiny it's almost as if um shulian sees you know all the stuff that she missed out on and she kind of wants even though 
Jen maybe wasn't like the best person to give this opportunity. She wants her to maybe live her life out the way that she wished that she would have. Right. And so we see Jen going, climbing up these, this huge flight of stairs in, and it looks like a similar area to um, what we saw earlier in the step. And we see that it is, it's like a monastery that's like on the side of a mountain and low is there. A dark cloud is there waiting for, or I guess kind of waiting for her and sees her runs and um, they have one more uh, night together. And the, the whole time when I was looking at this like monastery, I was just thinking like, that's real. Like someone made that. Yeah. Isn't and it crazy? like, and even if that's not the actual one, I'm sure that's, if that's not like a literal monastery in you know, steps of, of Northern China, it, it's based on one and thinking right. like someone made that and someone, you know, pre-technology, you know, or pre like modern technology built all of that. And I don't know. It's just incredible seeing stuff like that. Yeah. Like it doesn't even look real. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, but so then we get the, the final bit where, um, where Jin is, is standing out and over this bridge and it's like all foggy on the underside of the mountain. And she reminds Lo of the, the whole saying of the, the little boy in the desert and the casting himself from the mountain and says, make a wish. And he makes a wish that they'd be back in the desert. And then the final shot is just her falling into the, into the, into the uh, clouds. And it has, and that's yeah, it has this really sort of mystical element because it's, you know, it's not falling like to the speed of gravity you know but it's the sort yeah, of yeah she's still using like floating, the wudong to um, yeah. kind of float down instead of just you know sinking straight yeah. to the ground and uh so it's this <laughs> you know it's perfect to the to the tone of the movie where it's like the ink mm. almost just sort of uh dries you know sort of runs out on the page it's sort of there's something that's kind of left left open um but at the same time it's it's very tragic um yeah and yeah tandun score really really beautiful in this moment and mm. really kind of playing up that uh central love theme that yeah. uh that we talked about um and then uh a few minutes into the credits then we get the the sort of pop song version from coco lee yeah mm-hmm. which again it's always funny going back to movies that'll have like be based in like a certain time period and then during the credits, you realize when the movie was made, not just when it takes place. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. Where it's like, it's, it's not a bad song. It's not like completely smacking you in the face with early 2000s, but it's definitely that that kind of style. Yeah, it's kind of in the shadow uh, of My Heart Will Go On, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah. Production yeah. And the singing <laughs> style. But um, I mean, the melody, yeah, it's a beautiful melody of Tan Dunes here. And actually... Um, uh, James Seamus, the screenwriter, wrote, wrote the lyrics, apparently. Oh, yeah. And Matthew, you mentioned like like of that time period. And I think of, I think it's Once Upon a Time in China, the first movie. I think Jackie Chan sings. Yeah, he sings like this a song. vocal. It's like a vocal version of Wong Fei Hong's theme. And but I think that's over the opening title. Oh, oh right? that's yeah, yeah. It's like super '90s version of it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jackie's that's, such that, a great singer. Um, yeah. That was what I was also thinking, and I guess it's just because I saw all the clouds and the mountains and stuff made me think of it. 
uh, Castle in the Sky kind of ends like that too, oh. where like you get oh, yeah, have all this beautiful Joe Hisaishi music, and then it's like, oh, that's the eighties, yeah, eighties <laughs> Japanese music smacking you at the end. Was that a <laughs> oh, that's the eighties? It's so good, kind of reaction. I mean, it that's it is, but it's just it's. I mean, it's <laughs> no, a great song. I love I love eighties Japanese music, <laughs> no, but totally. it's just so much different and a lot less timeless. You know, yeah. sure, like it's sure, good and it's enjoyable, mean. but it's it's enjoyable and uh oh wow, that's very eighties, right? Especially yeah, because <laughs> the animation in that movie is so timeless. And it's very beautiful. timeless. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, wow. so yeah, here so we that's, are. That was that's Crouching that Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Crouching Tiger. That was a really long episode. Thank you so much for sticking <laughs> yeah, with it. <laughs> so Matthew, Boy, I'm, I'm curious, how did you? Yeah, how did you find the movie? Um, I really enjoyed it. It was definitely, uh, again, you just kind of, once you kind of just get over that, it like you get your brain gets past the, it looks silly and goes into the, this took a lot of skill and coordination to do. And like, you know, and, and, you know, physical strength, like it, it takes a lot to be suspended like that. Sure. And, you know, seeing it for the choreography and, you know, Yu Wu Ping's incredible. So it's like everything that he does is or every every choreography that right, right. every every fight scene that he choreographs just looks incredible mm. yeah and like the speed of everyone involved and uh this is the first tag on fat movie that we've done um right and it was cool to see him because uh, like I've, I've only seen him in like john woo stuff so it's cool seeing him in like a, a very different um you know era mm -hmm. no gun no guns in this one yep. <laughs> yeah totally and yeah no that guns, was the... no doves no, i was about to say no doves oh, gosh, yeah, no, yeah we had some of those cro like crows flying away and yeah i got some crows but <laughs> yeah it's interesting re-watching this um because we had no way to know i suppose like when the movie came out but uh this really did i think change the course of martial arts cinema um and you know i think like a lot of good things um Sometimes the the reper I don't know the repercussions of a good thing. Uh, sometimes <laughs> sometimes can be, but you know, it's like I think sometimes like a lot of what sort of followed in the mold of the Beatles, let's say, uh, maybe mm -hmm. led to to some of what could be negative about pop music. But you know, they they're not at at fault for that. And I think mm -mm. the thing is, Crouching Tiger, uh, we've, like we've said, like it strikes a really incredible balance that I think requires a lot of craft and taste and care. And I don't think it really lends itself to imitation very well. Um, and mm -hmm. I think there have been some incredible movies or at least movies with a lot of great artistry, like say hero or even somewhat more recently, like the, the grandmaster Wong Kar Wai kind of getting into sort of martial arts. But um, the expectation has sort of since been, you know, a much more sort of poetic kind of, um, you know, somewhat more art housey cinema, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. very steeped in kind of classic Chinese tradition, uh, more, you know, more of a mainland China production, more kind of Mandarin driven, usually, um, more realistic sound effects, let's say. Um, and I think, you know, unfortunately, I think that's just that's just a difficult thing to kind of repeat at the pace of movies that we were used to, say, coming out of Hong Kong in the 70s and 80s. Um, and I don't know, to be honest, we don't really get the same amount of really great martial arts output. At least not out of Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, and also there are political of... reasons, you know, Hong Kong is not the same entity anymore as, as it once was and doesn't have the same mm -hmm. uh, autonomy as it 
as it once did. Um, and the Chinese film industry has really has grown in a way that I don't think was kind of mm-hmm. predicted at, at this time. But oh, yeah. it's really interesting like to China, see like all the ripples of kind of the imitators, I guess you could say, of Crouching Tiger. And I, I think he's, you still sort of see that. I think a lot of roads kind of come back to Crouching Tiger. And I, I don't know, I guess for my money, I think it's still, I think it's still kind of like the ultimate kind of culmination of like all of that great, you know, filmmaking and like action cinema craft. Um, but I would be really interested to see, you know, to kind of see completely, completely different approaches or just to find actually even just kind of excuses for a little bit more of the kind of rough and ready filmmaking that made so much of like the seventies mm-hmm. and eighties, like Hong Kong action cinema possible. Yeah, um, that energy. Yeah. Bring that energy. Yeah, back. yeah, exactly. Where maybe there isn't the expectation for um, kind of, you know, art house cinema. Because um, I think to yeah. be, I mean, to be totally fair, I think a lot of movies that maybe try to imitate uh, Crouching Tiger, um, they might not be able to kind of hit that that art bar anyways. Yeah. Um, I'd even so say anyways, that interesting. this, you know, there was that recent sequel. And I, right. in a lot of ways, that movie really misses the mark. And, and it's Absolutely. especially apparent um, now that I've seen this one again more recently. I went ahead and I watched that. You know, I knew that we were going to watch this movie. So right. I was like, I should watch the other one. And yeah, it. I mean, there's a there's good stuff that you can get out of it. But it's it definitely it doesn't capture the spirit of this movie very well. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think what's um, I think with great pieces of cinema. Um, so often it's like they're really thematically like on point kind of, uh, I mean, in some cases, you know, from end to end. And um, if you kind of take away the, some of the individual components of Crouching Tiger and just sort of like reappropriate them for some other movie, it might not end up making sense. Um, but there's a lot of reason for the, all of the aesthetic touches in this film. And yeah, you're totally right when you, I mean, I love Yuan Wuping and, there's, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's great, there's always some great moments in any work that he does, and I'm glad, so glad he's like directing more movies again now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's so much. It almost seems like um, so much of the the sequel kind of, maybe kind of sort of has forgotten kind of like the the point of a lot of the aesthetic. Um, yeah, I don't know, just just one opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sticking with all of us. This definitely is a great movie. It's uh, definitely a lot easier to find than um, many other ones we've done so far. <laughs> right. Um, be sure to check us out on uh, Facebook. We are at Heroes Three Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Heroes the Number Three Podcast. The, this kind of concludes our arc about uh, heroines in in Hong Kong cinema, and I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll come back to some other great you know classics. Like I'd love to watch some more. Uh, Cynthia Rothrock stuff, yeah, or yeah totally. Sir Angela Mouse stuff, and we didn't. Um, you know, but, there are other stars that we didn't really touch on too. Oh yeah, that are yeah, really good. definitely. But uh, next week is going to be a spooky episode. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're going to go for something. Uh, we, we normally release on Wednesdays and Halloween's a Tuesday, so I'm just gonna work really hard and get it to come out on Halloween. Um, and what movie is that, Marty? What's our training for next week? Uh, it goes by a few names, but it's spooky no matter how you look at it. It is no matter how it's spooky. Um, so this is like a Sammo Hung horror classic. You might know it as 
close encounters of the spooky kind or um, just encounters of the spooky kind or spooky encounters uh, depending on uh, where you are in the world um yeah. Just but there encounters are encounters and, spooky and they the are same. spooky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're encounters. And next week, we'll let you know just how spooky they are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, until next week, we're talking about encounters of the spooky kind. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. We are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. <laughs>